1: Hello, and welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we continue our study verse by verse, chapter by chapter through the Bible, with Senior Pastor Will Ramirez. Today, as we continue with our study in the book of Acts, Paul and Barnabas have been preaching to the Jews, many of whom believed. Now the Gentiles want to hear their message as well. We'll pick it up in Acts chapter 13, verse 40. Title of the message is "Our Infinite Worth."
0: Acts thirteen. Jesus asked the question, "And what shall a man give in exchange for his own soul?" Uh, the rhetorical question that he asked is intended to be understood as nothing on earth. There's nothing on earth that exists that can do so. What can a man give in exchange for a soul? Nothing. There's nothing that he could exchange his soul for. So in light of that, that begs the question, then what is a soul worth? What is your soul worth? We often talk about salvation being free, but we can't forget that it wasn't freely purchased. It cost the blood of God's own dear son, our savior, Jesus. Why? Well, because he set his love upon us. And as we see the reaction that Paul gets from his sermon in Acts chapter 13, may God's spirit give us a fresh glimpse into God's amazing love and therefore our infinite worth in order that we might give our entire lives to him and share this amazing love with others. So. Acts chapter 13, and we're going to pick it up in verse 40. But remember, Paul and Barnabas are on their first missionary journey, okay? They come to the area of Cyprus. They preach there. Sergius Paulus comes to Christ. And then they move on to the southern part of Asia Minor. And as they reach there, and they minister there, John Mark leaves, and they head on to Antioch in Pisidia. And this is where Paul preaches this message in the synagogue, a wonderful gospel message about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And now as he gets to the end of this sermon here, in chapter 13, verse 40, well, let's actually go up and say verse 38, because this is the punchline. Be it known unto you, therefore, men and brethren, that through this man Jesus has preached unto you the forgiveness of sins, and by him all they believe are justified from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. So he has concluded with this idea that you can be justified by faith in Christ, all your sins forgiven. And then in verse 40, he says, therefore, beware. And all throughout this sermon, Paul has been giving us imperatives. He's been saying, you must listen up. You must understand this. And now he urges, you must beware. And the reason he says you must beware is lest that come upon you, which is spoken of in the prophets. And then he quotes Habakkuk 1, five, where he says, Behold, ye despisers, and wonder, and perish. For I work a work in your days, a work which you shall in no wise believe, though a man should declare it unto you. I want to encourage you, read chapter 1 and 2 of Habakkuk, because it's crucial in the warning that he gives here to understand. I'm going to summarize it right here. But Habakkuk was a prophet sent from God during the same period that Jeremiah ministered. And just before God judged Judah with the Babylonian conquest, he comes in to challenge the people. And as God sends him to the people of Judah, He's so frustrated by all the wickedness that he sees around him. And as he gives this prophecy, he sees all the wickedness in his own nation. And he's upset because God hasn't done anything. It seems like wicked people are prospering and wickedness is prospering. And God doesn't seem to care. And so he tells God this. He goes, why don't you do anything? And so God, in verse 5 of chapter 1, he declares that he's going to do something. Something that the people would never believe because they're so stubborn. He's going to send the Babylonians to come and take him captive. Now, it's no coincidence later on in chapter 2, verse 4, that Habakkuk will be told by God that the one who is right with him lives by faith. See, he quotes this passage in light of that. That, listen, if you put your faith in him, all your sins can be forgiven and you could be justified from the law of Moses, which you could have never been justified in your own efforts. But by faith you can And this phrase that the just shall live by faith, those who are right with God shall live by faith will become Paul's battle cry and the theme of three of his letters, the book of Romans, the book of Galatians, the book of Hebrews, they're all based on that thought. Romans focuses on the just, those who are righteous, how to be righteous with God. Galatians focuses on shall live. It tells you what this righteous life looks like. And then Hebrews by faith, it talks about our trust in him, that Jesus is superior and we put all our hope and all our rest in him. And this morning, I echo Paul's warning. Don't scoff or mock at the message of salvation by faith in Jesus Christ. God doesn't want you to perish. He loves you and he's giving you an opportunity today to get right with him. He's giving you an opportunity. If you're here and you don't know the Lord, he's giving you an opportunity to hear the gospel message, this idea that Christ lived a sinless life and then he died for your sins and he rose again for your justification. Don't scoff at it, but be open to what the Lord might teach you. what kind of reaction did Paul get? Verse 42, when the Jews were gone out of the synagogue, the Gentiles besought that these words might be preached to them the next Sabbath. The initial reaction right there at that moment, it mentions the Jews. It says that some of them, they go out of the synagogue when the service is over. Many of them just kind of went home, but the Gentiles besought him or begged him that these words might be preached to them the next Sabbath. For them, they're thinking to themselves, Man, Saturday can't come quick enough. I don't know about you, but that's how it is for me. Sunday can't come quick enough. I I just want to be here with you all again. And not because I'm up here speaking. I, I want to be with you all. I love hanging out with you all. I can't get enough of this. And I hope it's the same for you. I hope that when you come here, you sense the Lord's presence. I hope that you feel loved by your brothers and sisters who are here. I hope that the Lord speaks to your heart. Because if not, I'm not sure what we're doing. But I think it's fascinating here that after the service is done, some of these Jews go home. But these guys, these Gentiles, they want to hear more. They're thinking, whoa, 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 whoa. you're telling me that I can be right with God without doing all this other stuff like circumcision? And they want to hear more. See, the God of Israel was so different than anything they had ever heard about. And you know how many of these Men and women who had heard this message as Paul was preaching had, had to go through all these hoops and do all these crazy things to appease their God and hopefully they might get a good crop that year. And here, they hear the first time this message that you could be right with God and experience his love and his favor just by putting your faith in Christ. That got their attention. They wanted more. They wanted more. Are we hungry like that for God's word? Are we hungry like that? Do we just, man, I can't, I want more. I want more. Are you excited to come to church each week? Do you sense God's presence in our midst speaking to your heart? I want to encourage you, pray for for me. (laughs) Pray for us as leaders. Pray for our church. Pray that God would pour out his spirit upon us because if he doesn't, guess what? We're missing out. We can't do this without the Lord. We can't reach the lost. We can't minister one to another. And I certainly can't do anything that's worth anything of eternity up here if God doesn't move in his mighty power. Well, it mentions now when the congregation was broken up, many of the Jews, it says, and religious proselytes, so we got two groups, the Jews there, and then those who were Gentiles who had become Jewish by being circumcised and baptized and whatnot, they followed, they followed after Paul and Barnabas, who speaking to them persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. So these guys became disciples immediately of Paul and Barnabas. And Paul and Barnabas, they began to persuade them. The word there is imperfect, which means they did this all week long. So all week long, they were trying to persuade them to continue in the grace of God, to win them over, to convince them that this was true, that this message of grace, salvation by grace through faith alone in Christ is true. You know, a large portion of the Jews, they didn't want to wait until next week. (laughs) They became disciples right then and there, eventually receiving Christ throughout the week. And so Paul and Barnabas, exhorted them to stay in the grace of God, to stay in, to make that place their home. See, the danger is what? That they'd be tempted to return back to the law or to some other work-based way of relating to God. Isn't it sad and sick how we relate that way, right? We always kind of want to go back to this legal way of relating to God that I'll feel good about how my day went or I'll feel good about my prayer life or good about my time in the word and therefore that means I can approach God or I can ask him for something. Stay in grace, he says. Don't ever go back to that way of relating to God. Stay strong in the grace of God. Paul would tell Timothy, be strong in the grace of the Lord. Meditate each day on what he's done for you and then hold tight to it. You know, this magnificent week here where God is moving in the city, it leads up to a pretty amazing follow-up service on the next Sabbath. So verse 44. And the next Sabbath day, they came almost the entire city together to hear the word of God. Can you imagine what that would be like here in Orlando? Could you imagine? Why not? Why not? You say, well, maybe that could have happened in the past, but... Our culture right now is so antagonistic towards our Savior, so antagonistic towards Christianity, towards the church. Well, last I checked, this time period is pretty hostile towards God. At this point in time, the Roman emperor was worshipped as God. And as much as many people may admire our president and political leaders, I don't think we're quite there yet. They would worship him as God. They believed that the family genus would come upon him. This deity would come upon him and then he would become a God. That's what the phrase Augustus means. The idea that he is August, that he should be revered because he's deity. And so Caesar would be thought of as a God. And, and he would want no one else to rival that. In fact, that's what the phrase Jesus is Lord has so much meaning. We say, oh, Jesus is Lord. He's Lord of all. You know, and we kind of say that as Christians. But in America and in our time period, it has no meaning to us compared to what it meant back then. See, back then when they would come and they would worship the genus of Caesar, it'd be this little statue, this little head of Caesar. And you would come and you'd offer a pinch of incense and you would say, Caesar is Lord. That would be the idea that he is deity, that he is God. And so when you would say, no, I cannot do that because Jesus is Lord. Do you see the significance now? It meant so much more. Only Jesus is God. Only Jesus is a savior. Only Jesus is is the Lord. So Jesus, who is the Lord of all, can he do that in our city? Why not? Why not? What's to stop him? Only us. You know, courage is such a rare attribute in our day. Courage to stay in that marriage that's difficult. Courage to fight for your kids when it seems like they're fighting against you. Courage to walk when it seems like you're the only one walking in that direction. But if we will humble ourselves before the Lord and cry out to him and ask him to pour out his fire upon us like he promised, he he was coming whose shoes I'm not worthy to unloose, he will baptize you with water and with the Holy Ghost and with fire. And if he puts a fire in our heart and a fire in our bones that people can see and they see him inside of us, they see him, then who's to say what God might do? I'm not giving up yet. I'm not giving up yet. Do you know why I'm here today? <laughs> Do you know why we're here today? We're here today. We get Calvary Chapel. You know it's great. That's us, right? But in the '60s and the '70s, when things were so horrible and so bad in our culture, when we lost an entire generation of people, there were those who said, "We're going to love him. We're going to reach out to him. We're going to pray for him. We're going to weep for him." And look at what happened. Now we have something called Calvary Chapel. <laughs> and I'm so glad to be a part of it, and I don't think God's done. I refuse to believe God's done because I believe that God, who has set his love upon us, this has never changed. The love that Paul preaches here, this has never changed. Do you think his love is dimmed at all? Do you think that his passion for us is dimmed at all? Do you think when he said those words, it is finished, that that was, you know, just something for that time? He was thinking of you. The Bible says he was thinking of us. The joy that was set before him is how he endured the cross and despised its shame. In the Old Testament, it said, curse every man that hangs on a tree. And he didn't care about that because he was winning you and me. It was that love and it was that passion. It still burns. Does it burn in us? How we need to fall more in love with Jesus, Right? We need more of him in our hearts. The next Sabbath day came together almost the whole city to hear the word of God. Can you think of anything grander for Paul and Barnabas than seeing all these people just want to hear God's word? (laughs) And yet the enemy doesn't lay down easily when souls are on the line, verse 45. But when the Jews look at what it says, when they saw the multitudes, you know, there's always, and pardon if your name's Nancy, there's always a negative Nancy out there there's always a bummer bob there's always somebody out there who's just trying to say well you know i don't know how many of these i don't know how many of these people are really genuinely interested in god and there's always somebody out there who's willing to see a work that god's doing and to kind of just poo-poo it and say oh, i don't really know what's going on here and to cast doubt upon the lord why why they were jealous when they saw the multitudes as they were filled with envy Jealousy, resentment. They'd never packed out the synagogue like this before. And instead of rejoicing at what God had done, they opposed the teaching of Paul and Barnabas. It says that they spoke against those things which were spoken by Paul, contradicting and blaspheming they began to say, now listen, I know all y'all are gathered here because you've heard the thing that Paul said last week and Barnabas told us about last week. But we're here to tell you that it's not true. Don't believe these guys. Jesus is not the Messiah. He's a criminal and he was crucified as a criminal. He's a traitor. These guys are wrong. Ooh, you got to imagine that must have uh, had quite the reaction from Paul and Barnabas. Verse 46 Then Paul and Barnabas waxed bold. The word there means they spoke openly. A lot of times when we think of boldness, I think we mistake it for rudeness. Being bold is not being rude. Being bold, it means to speak freely. When the Bible talks about us having boldness to come before his throne of grace, right? We know about that verse, that we have boldness. The word there means freedom to speak. I don't have to be afraid to come to God. I don't have to worry that if I come to God, that he's gonna be angry at me or frustrated with me or he's gonna turn me away. I have a freedom to come into his presence. I have a freedom to speak to him, that he will hear the cry of my heart. When I pour out my frustration to him, I pour out my sin to him and I say, oh, Lord, I'm just struggling. He's not bothered by that. It's not like he hears it and he goes, oh, cover my ears. What did you do? I can't hear that. Don't you realize this is the holy throne of God? See, the only thing that's going to annoy the Lord is if you come to him and you say to him, God, I know I'm wrong, but I really don't want to change. That's when the Lord will be like, well, we need to talk then. Because it is a throne. Therefore, we come submissively. We come humbly. But man, we come freely. That's our Abba. That's our dad. We can come talk to him. God says, come. Come. The veil is torn. Come. The whole purpose, when you get to Hebrews, he gets to chapter 10 and he says, let us enter in. Let us come. Having our consciences washed and sprinkled, let us come through the veil that is his flesh, which was torn. It's free. We can enter in. Right there into the Holy of Holies, right into his presence. They wax bold. It means to speak openly. So they were not afraid. And what I mean by weren't afraid, it doesn't mean they didn't feel fear. I don't know what they felt, but they felt the freedom to speak. And see, the problem is, as the enemy comes to us and says, you can't say that. Don't say that. They'll react this way if you say that. But in Christ, we have permission to speak. We have an obligation to speak. And so they waxed bold. They spoke openly. But they could have easily backed down. They were in a foreign place with no friends. But to do so would have left all these new believers and interested non-believers in the hands of petty, self-seeking men. And we cannot do that. We cannot afford to let people who don't know Christ or who barely know Christ to go and attend a church where all they're going to get his good, happy feelings. We cannot allow that. We cannot sit here and just stand back and go, "Well, you know, that's just the signs of the times, and that's how it goes." And Jesus is coming back, and I hope quick before too much damage is done. John, in the book of Revelation, when he saw the harlot, the woman riding the beast, it says he was horrified. He was horrified. He was shocked. Why? Because what he saw was an apostate church. He was horrified. You say, what are you saying, Will? Well, what I'm not saying is this. We have beautiful brothers and sisters in Christ that may go by a different name on their church, but as long as we believe the essentials together, that's not what I'm talking about. You know what I'm talking about. Today, the danger is to compromise say that we don't believe that Jesus is the only way. Jesus is a way. I was reading a book that talked about how one poll said that, what is it, 73% of the United States claim to be born-again Christians. But when further pressed, it was only 6 to 8% that actually believe Jesus is the only way, that the Bible is the word of God. So then what is filling churches this day? And that's the problem. We cannot stand by while other people proclaim and say, well, yeah, Muhammad's a way and Buddha's a way and Hinduism's a good way too. And we can learn a lot from the ancients. We cannot stand by and say yes to that. I remember a brother of mine, he, he was mentioning that his grandmother attended the church for years and years and years and years, but they were bringing in Imams, and they were bringing in Buddhists and Hindus. And finally, she just, I can't do it anymore. Good for her. Good for her. We cannot allow petty, self-seeking, rock star preachers to be gobbling up the souls of men. We must minister the truth of God's word. We must minister the, the love, the true love that God doesn't want you to perish because of your sin. So I encourage you. Let me ask you something. If all of us invited one person to church this year and they stayed, How long do you think it would take for us to reach a lot of Orlando? Not very long, would it? I think sometimes we see the task that's out there. And I'm right there with you. I go on Facebook sometimes or read the news or you hear the radio, whatever, and just think, man, Lord, come quickly because it's just done. I understand that. But we can't lose heart and we can't give up. So instead of looking at the big, huge task at hand, maybe look at it at one step at a time. Make it your prayer. Say, Lord, every day, Lord, lead me to one person that I can invite to church. Lead me to one person that I can share the gospel with. Just one. Stay there and then wait and see what God will do. I promise you, God will give you opportunity. I was driving out of somewhere the other day, and as I was driving out, this person comes walking up and wants to talk to me. Got to share the Lord with them. I've been praying that prayer. Lord, give me one person to share the gospel with, one person to invite to church. And you would think, oh, no, it didn't happen. I remember it was so funny. I was in the car going, oh, I didn't get to really share with anybody today. And then I pull out and there's somebody right there. He is more willing to save them than you're willing to tell them. He's more willing to bring them into your path than you are to go find them. So why not ask him? Why not make it a focus? Well... They spoke against Paul and Paul and Barnabas. They waxed bold and they said, it was necessary that the word of God should first have been spoken to you. We had to announce this news to you first as Jesus was your Messiah. But since you didn't want God's love, we're gonna take it to those who do. It says, but... Seeing you put it from you, seeing you thrust it away, you reject it, and you judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, lo, we turn to the Gentiles. Now, it has been said that there is no worth in us whatsoever that God would redeem us by his son. But it's interesting that they judge themselves unworthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. My worth, your worth is infinite because God has placed it upon you. It is infinite. Because God has placed it upon you. Let me ask you, how wide is God's love? Does it ever run out? Well, then your worth is infinite. Because he has set his love upon you. See, when someone rejects the gospel, they are rejecting the only worth that we have. That God would love us enough to send his son to die for us. I wouldn't do that. But God commends his, his love towards us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And this is why self-esteem or self-worth is not important in life. You say, what are you talking about, Will? No. God esteem is what you and I need. You want to have confident kids? Tell them how much God loves them and never, ever tire of telling them that every day they can walk around and understand that I am valued by the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords who made me, who fashioned me in my mother's womb, who knew me before I existed. And then he died for me, knowing all the things that I would do. He did it anyway. See, my self-value is both limited and tainted by my sinful nature. If I take value for myself because I'm supposed to have self-esteem, I'm so wonderful, I'm so smart. Well, number one, that's limiting because some of us aren't that smart and some of us aren't that wonderful sometimes. And it's also tainted by our sinful nature because sometimes we think we're wonderful when we really aren't. (laughs) Only in seeing our worth in God to God Can you truly rise to all the heights that God intended you to be? Now, Paul, he says, since you judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, lo, we turn to the Gentiles. Paul would no longer come to the synagogue here with his message. He'd go out to the rest of the city where those people who were crowding and trying to get in were. They wanted to hear it. They were interested. I'm going to go to them. And how that must have burned these guys. Little men with little kingdoms can never embrace what it means that God loves the world. Never embrace it. Paul didn't have any of those limitations, and neither should we. Neither should we.
1: This world tells us to look for self-worth by relying on our love for ourselves and having self-esteem. But God loves us so much more, and His love is pure, infallible, and infinite, making us worth infinitely more than our impure, finite love ever could. We don't need to love ourselves. We need to know He loves us. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will Ramirez, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. If you have any spiritual or physical needs, please contact us.